Are you stuck in a rat race of schedules, to-do lists, and other people's priorities? Maybe you can't even remember when the last time you felt fully engaged with your body, your mind, and your surroundings. If this resonates with you, then you are in the right place. I am Susan Sanders, and I'm here to teach you about sustainable productivity. Each week, I'll be coming to your ears with lessons to create a life that you can fully engage with. Some weeks will be bite-sized moments of inspiration and sharing. Other weeks will include guests and more in-depth looks at doing the right things in a way that you can maintain over time. Let's get started. Welcome to or back to the Sustainable Productivity Podcast. I am your host, Susan Sanders. And one of the things I want to do with this podcast is to introduce you to some real life people who are living a sustainably productive life so that we can talk to them to find out how they do it. And today we have a guest with us to do exactly that. Ainsley McEachern is a retired professional cyclist who scored a couple invites to the Olympic trials. He's an author of multiple books, a podcaster, race announcer, MC, entrepreneur, dad, a twin, a husband to a super smart athlete, Melissa. So that's a lot of hats, Ainsley. Um, how do you introduce yourself? I know I'm missing some, so welcome to the podcast. And tell us how you introduce yourself. Boy, you know, uh, I mean, I cycling was such a big part of my life. I So I, like you, will say, you know, former professional cyclist. Um, and then... You know, I worked as a cycling coach for many years, working with athletes all the way from the recreational level all the way up to the elite level. Uh, Entrepreneur, I owned and operated several fitness businesses over the years. Cycling is still very much a big part of my life. Uh, As is, I was a full-time fitness professional for over 25 years. and now I'm working on a new project that's connected to fitness. Yeah, I love it. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you on the mic, we've sort of talked about this um, in person in passing, is your background as a pro athlete turned mortal. Um, <laughs> I certainly had no professional status, but I had a hard time transitioning just from you know collegiate athlete where you know, going all out at any cost, like that was really valued. It was one of the driving forces really that helped me to start all the sustainable Sue stuff, the writing, the podcasting, all of that, because um, basically going balls to the wall all the time was no longer working. The injuries were piling up. It was miserable. I know you had a serious injury that prompted your retirement can you talk about the decision to retire from professional cycling and the transition, um, just the, the general transition? I know, I know you call it the vacuum of training. Um, tell us about the decision to, to leave that. Well, before I jump into that, I don't want you to discount yourself. Collegiate athletics is the real deal, Susan. So, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for you because um, – mm. You know, when you go to a school to commit for athletics, you, the school owns you. So I admire, you know, I admire that. Um, yeah, they always call it a free ride, but yeah, uh, there's nothing free about it. 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 It's not. <laughs> I'm paying with some knees right now. 
there were really two decisions uh, that were made regarding, well, two moments that prompted retirement from professional cycling. One was the moment you talked about. I fell. I severely broke my arm. Uh, we had an infant at home and I was the stay at home dad. And, you know, I couldn't take care of my child. There was a steady stream of our friends and family through the house to take care of the baby, you know, change her diapers, feed her, bathe her, this kind of thing. Cause I just was incapacitated. Um, the other moment was I was at a race out in California, big race. And I was staying with this, we had gotten host housing for the team and we're staying with this really great family. The father's an MD, the wife is manages several properties they have they have three great kids they live in a gorgeous house um i'm eating their food sleeping on their floors we were the same age mm. and it would be one thing if i was winning lots of races um but you know i was just uh i was the the journeyman you know fetching water bottles chasing breakaways mm. I, I think i made fifteen thousand one year as a cyclist which is still significantly below the poverty line. So my wife and I had a discussion about it and we wanted to own some real estate and we wanted to have, uh, you know, one or two kids. And so the decision was made to just get on with my life. And in, in cycling, we say, if you haven't made it by the time you were 30, uh, you're not going to make it. And I was 30. And so we sort of said, all right, let's move on. But you didn't stop riding. Well, I stepped back to the amateur level, um, but this is Colorado, man. I mean, you know, even <laughs> even at the amateur level. Right, right. But I will say that that literally, like, you know, I, I didn't renew my pro license over the winter. Um, and literally, like, that the next Monday, I got out of bed and I was like, okay, now what am I going to do? And fortunately, I had on my way back from my last professional race on the airplane, I had sketched out a plan to uh, launch a coaching, cycling coaching business. So I knew I wasn't going to be racing at the highest level anymore. Uh, I hoped that mm -hmm. I could take some of the lessons that I had learned Um and I had been working as a personal trainer. And so I thought, hey, maybe I can cobble all of that together uh, as a cycling coach. So I did three more years as an amateur. And then once we had our first child, for me, mm -hmm. the balancing act was uh, I wasn't good with the balancing act. So I put it down, not all together, but I focused my energies on having a child. Yeah. Well, do you find, or did you find, I guess, um, one, of, let me say it this way. One of the things that I found as a collegiate athlete is you have to be hyper-focused on a single goal. Um, did you find yourself saying, okay, well, I'm putting down the pro cycling, so I'm going to be hyper-focused as a parent, or I'm going to be hyper-focused as a coach, or, um, where did you... Or were you able to tamp down that laser? Not at all. <laughs> I went. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I, I went all in on the coaching. I was really fortunate. I had a connection in that period. CU Boulder was the, the 
powerhouse cycling program. And they had been since I had raced collegiate in the mid nineties. And I had a connection there and I actually scored the job of being the, the team coach and director. Um, so I was trying to like laser focus on being a dad and laser focus on being a cycling coach and laser focus on trying to ride bicycles recreational at some point. But I think if you ask my wife, I may not have done a very good job and that the coaching athletes was unfortunately near the closer to the top of that hierarchy. Yeah. It's that balance that is so elusive. Like the, the competitiveness is one thing, you know, uh, racing to the grocery store door, or can I do the most number of like how, who's cleaning more? Like all of that stuff is so hard to shut off, but then there's the other side of it, which is the focus, which works until it doesn't, you know, we re, re, we were rewarded for that for so long. It's so hard to shut right. that off. And one of the things that I see you talking a lot in your work as a trainer is recommending the idea of sustainability. You know, if it's not something that you can continue lifelong or for a long time or through this training cycle, it might not be a value. I've seen you talk to your collegiate teams about needing to take a rest week to go faster later or you've written about easing up at the gym to help balance hormones to improve your sleep. Um, how does that laser focus look now as you've had, you know, a decade or so to mellow out and um, work your way through those struggles? You did your homework, Susan. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're so interesting. And I could just, I had to, we have to contain it in a, a short amount of time. So well, I'm trying to be laser focused on this now. <laughs> I think that I was failing, you know, what do they say? You can be a master of a jack, jack of, of all, all trades, trades or a master, master of none. And I, I was successfully doing that while not so successfully. Um, and the, actually the, the truth is that things with Melissa, my wife got really hard. Um, and we, 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 have, we had a business venture go bad. Um, we, our marriage was really struggling. Um, the kids didn't like being around me. They, you know, the, I was not a nice person to be around because I was way too spread out the stress, you know, I was mm -hmm. Prozac so I could function during the day and, uh, Ambien so I could sleep at night. You know, that's a, that's a pretty high octane existence. So, um, that for me and not sustainable, and not it sounds sustainable. like, yeah. So yeah. I said, these, some of these things do not serve me. And as the volume got louder and louder, things just became more and more difficult. So I like to say now in this part of my life, um, I tried to get rich once and it very nearly cost me my marriage. So now I'm all about what things serve me, what makes me happy and what is my twin brother was just on a sustainable mindset uh, podcast recently. And he used the term that I've heard him use for a decade that I have started to embrace. And it's the um, minimal effective dose. Oh, you yes. Know? Yeah. In the business world, <laughs> we call it the minimum viable product. Like when you're shipping IT right. software. Yes. Minimal effective dose. What energies can go out to things 
um, so that everything is functioning and humming the way along the way that it should, uh, but nothing gets away from me. That's good. Yeah, that and throwing in seeing a shrink a little more frequently is really helped with that. <laughs> I I love that you're so open about this, Ainsley, because I, I did want to touch on the idea of, of mental well-being because I know, well, it's obviously one of the pillars of sustainable productivity, but um, it's not just about the sports psychology thing. I mean, being married to a sports psychologist probably helps, and I know that you worked with a sports psychologist as part of racing, but you know, you talked about struggles as a new dad as well. And I think that we all see other people knocking it out of the park and comparing our insides to their outsides. We think we should be doing it all. And it just, it's, it's not, it depends on how we are defining productive, right? So what you're defining productive as having a uh, happy partnership, being a present dad, not just being you know, the, the dad that provides, but being the dad that provides with your presence. Um, how do you practically do that? So when you feel yourself like slipping down the rabbit hole of I'm going to be laser focused on my um, race announcing, like, do you have to say something to yourself or do you have like a weekly check-in with Melissa? Like, here's my calendar for the next month. Oh, nuts. I've overscheduled again. Let me pull back. What are some of the practical ways you hold yourself accountable? We, um, I have a dry erase board that I put all of my uh, announcing dates on. Um, and then we share a Google calendar. So she doesn't have to always ask me when, you know, am I working next? She can go and look at the dry erase or dig into the Google calendar. So my, my strength that I see right now um, he touched, he has talked about something that you talked about right at the top of this. And is that you and I have spent a lifetime being achievement based, right? Everything we do, everything that we did was all around achievement. We were high achievers for many years. Um, I don't have anything left to prove. All I want to do now is be a good dad. Um, and the way that I do that is by being available to my children, you know, emotionally, physically, um, you know, asking them about their, their lives. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, I wanted, I really struggle to, and I'm still struggling. I think I always will struggle with this, the balancing act. I like to joke that Balance is something you achieve while you're on your way from one extreme to the other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is so true. Yes. <laughs> but if you can find a way, if you can find a way to extend those midpoints, I mean, I think as humans, we're all guilty of, you know, struggling with balance. But um, having gone through what I went through with the kids when they were younger, I don't want to do that. And I think. I want them to look back and say, you know, dad, he's a human like any other human, but he was a good dad. And, you know, my dad was always there for me. Like something we have with our kids that I, you and I, I think it's a generational thing we did not have with our parents was we're completely transparent with the kids. You know, we're like, they're underage. 
if something goes wrong for them at a, some sort of party with their peers, um, if, you know, there's booze, if there's things that boys and girls of that age do, um, we want, if it were you and me, we would say, ah, crap, my dad's going to kill me. That's right. How and, do but, I best hide it? Right. And so what we want is for us, my kids to say, oh, crap, I need my dad. Um, and so everything we do is based around how do we give them the guidance and the safety that they need. Um, we have a 911 policy if they need us to come get them. Uh, you know, we'll show up and we'll get them even if they're blind, drunk or whatever, and we won't be angry. Um, and so we're trying to provide some emotional security for them and creating an environment where they can come to us for anything, anything. Yeah. At all. yeah. Um, that's important to me. So a lot of my uh, things that I do, my motivations are based around trying to be as available to the kids as possible and having them feel like, you know, there's a, a safe place they can always go to uh, in regards to their parents. Yeah. I, I like that. That is almost a, it's not tangible, but it's, it's a, it's a post that you can push against. So if I have this great opportunity to travel to announce race X, Y, and Z, but that's the same time you're supposed to go visit your oldest at college, like this is the post I'm pushing against. How do I best show up to be available? Or if I've not been taking care of my mental health and I'm ready to just go off the rails, um, not that that happened to me this weekend. <laughs> I hadn't been sleeping well. I'm not, I just, I, I just got so mad at Paul and, you know, then had to go back and apologize. And there's nothing more I hate than having to go back and admit that I'm wrong. So why don't I just take care of my mental health and not be an asshole in the first place. Right. Yeah. So I, it, it's good. And that's sort of the idea of the sustainable productivity questions is this getting me the result I want? And can I continue to do it for a long period of time? Um, because for a long time, it was just, is this going to get me validation that I'm worth worthwhile person? Right. Just go, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. Yes. And yes. You know, I, I, I spoke, I, I used to do a podcast called life after sports. Um, and I spoke with, there's a woman here in Fort Collins that I go way back with that she is a swimmer and she won a gold medal at the Sydney Olympics. And she actually said this to me was incredibly eye opening. She said she hopes the greatest thing she does in her life is not winning, not winning that medal. She hopes that there, there are bigger, greater, more things. And I'm like, that is incredibly profound. Yes. You know, like for me, that was very eye opening when she said that. And so now in the next part of my life, I'm trying to have it uh, live a life similar where I hope that the best thing I did with my life was not being a professional cyclist. But, you yes. know, raising great kids like I was joking with somebody the other day that uh, every day you keep your kid alive is a good parenting day. And that Mel and I, we kept the kids alive to the age of 18 and they're not big jerks. That can't be, we, we right. feels like we did okay, you know? And Absolutely. so I'm, I'm proud of the, the way that we've raised our children, or I'm proud of the way, the type of people they've turned out to be. Yes. 
you know, so that I take a lot of more pride in that than I ever did with my professional uh, adventures. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, I, I do want to spend some time talking about your entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you mentioned the, the health and fitness um, businesses you've owned, managing cycling teams, the books, you, you know, cooking what seemed like incredibly complicated recipes. Like you're not afraid to just jump in and try something. Um, so I want to talk to you about how you pick a project or a hobby or something. Like you, you're clearly not shying away from a challenge. And as we both work with people on habit change, sometimes I think the fear of failure, the fear of success prevents people from even starting. So how do you keep a beginner mind, stay curious, stay motivated? How do you encourage people you work with to do the same? Boy, that is a, I once heard an interview with a fire, uh, firefighter. And he said, he is, to be a firefighter, you have to be the type of person that runs towards trouble, not away from it. And I mean, that seems fairly obvious. And I'm like, well, how can I translate that into my life? I mean, I, with cycling, the, everything about it is, you know, you have to be proactive. You have to tackle it. You have to face it. And I just, I think after I started doing that when I racing bikes, when I was 15 and I completely put it down when I was 33. So, you know, that was a lot of years of just diving directly into things. And so when it came to business, um, first of all, I've tried having bosses over the years and I'm 51. I can count on one hand how many bosses I've had over the years that I thought were effective and made me a better employee. Mm. So based on that, for better or for worse, I've spent the better part of my working life working for myself. Um, with the coaching cyclists, that was, you know, I knew there was a need. Uh, Chris Carmichael had just started launched his coaching company on the back of working with Lance Armstrong. They were doing a great business. So I knew there was a demand there uh, in my local cycling community here in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, I still had at least some level of regard from the cycling community based on the work that I'd done as an athlete myself. Mm -hmm. um, and that were, uh, you know, that was having that type of um, I'm not going to, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say popularity. Like, you know, people knew who I was yeah, um, and knew the, the respect know, the, of the industry yeah, and, and results. the level that the level that I'd achieved with the sport um, cycling, the cycling business took off for me. You know, I hired a partner. She was an ex tour to France rider, world championships, Olympics, la la la. She was my co-coach at CU Boulder. Um, so bringing her on board too, you know, a name personality and women's cycling really helped. And then I had been managing health clubs for years and an opportunity when, when we had our second child, I, um, I stayed home with our daughter the first year and I was working as a personal trainer and just like a, a manager on duty at a gym here in town. 
and when we had our second child, I sort of, Melissa and I had a conversation and um, she'd been working in physical therapy and, you know, had a, like a, a real jobby job. And we decided that she should stay home with the kids because when you work in a health club, you get free uh, childcare. And we didn't want one of our incomes to be paying for childcare. And then I went to work at another gym and got a management job with benefits and all of this. And then the very next year, I purchased that gym from the owner. Um, but those things were about, I try not to let fear control my life. Um, I see a lot of people, fear controls how they, the decisions they make the relationships they have, um, how I've they always... appear in right. public or in relationships right. in general. Yeah. Right. And I think as a high level athlete, fear just wasn't part of how I was put together. Mm. Um, you know, and so when it came to professional pursuits, uh, I just wasn't going to let fear deter me from doing the things that I want to do. Um, so that was, that ability to just say, I'm doing it, you know, that maybe a shoot first, ask questions later, uh, you know, or go back and assess later that that's what controlled my professional pursuits for years. Mm. I wonder if um, your success, like say, for example, as a professional cyclist, you are on a training ride that includes, you know, bombing down a mountain and that's a pretty technical descent and you just let her rip then you have the experience as a professional cyclist of okay well we've got stats we've got the outcome we've got how you're feeling all this stuff that you can work with your coach to sort of debrief how did that work how can we do it better the next day you do the same training right over and over again like do you maybe less uh you know intensely but kind of say okay what went well what do we need to change so you can proverbially bomb down the mountain again now in your next pursuit. Well, at least I just want to touch on that particular thing near the end of my career. You know, one of the re near the end of my career, I had a reputation for going downhill because I was bigger than many riders. So I had I struggled going uphill. Right. So <laughs> I'm married um, to one of those. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things, you know, any good athlete and any good professional and like, you know, uh, in Top Gun, they touch on this very thing, Tom Cruise, you are a good pilot always chooses to review his last, you know, you're critical, you're always analyzing. And so, you know, we're not dumb animals, we can learn from the our previous experiences and our mistakes and take those forward. So yeah, you know, with cycling, I, I would be like, well, I did a block of training for three weeks, and this is what the three weeks contained. And the once I got recovered from the three weeks, the outcome wasn't what I wanted. Um, and so then you go back and you retool the plan um, with, you know, riding bicycles handle relatively predictably up to about 55 miles an hour. So, you know, the more time you spend closer to the edge of the envelope, the more you understand what's going to happen if things go wrong. And mm, then with and making adjustments as you go. Right. Right, yeah, I see. Right. You know, you sort of acclimate yourself to being right on the ragged edge. Mm -hmm. um, and then with business, 
you know, any business tracks the patterns that are emerging and, and, you know, and the way that their business operates. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like, you know, offering these coaching packages, well, you know, there's, that didn't seem to get us the people that we wanted or our clients were not finding the success that, you know, that we felt they should, if they did the plan. So then we would go back and miss it. My team, uh, my co-coach Missy and I would have, have a little bit of a round table periodically and review all of the people we were working with. And, you know, we used to say, listen, man, if they do this stuff, they should be getting a result. The stuff works if you do it. And then we'd be like, okay, clearly they're either not doing it or we missed something. Mm. And then we would go back and retool the plan. And with the health club, we actually, we hired a series of advisors in the period that we owned and operated our health club. And they helped us with pattern identification, sales tactics, um, you know, understanding the motives of the people that were coming to our business. Um, so yeah, identifying those patterns, going, looking at what worked, what didn't work, going back, retooling the plan. And then is working with athletes. A lot, a lot of these people were like you and me where they are like, they believe they have to go all in all the time. But if I'm going to do something, I might as well overdo it. Well, like you have to be crushed from every workout, but not yes. every work, not every workout is designed around having you be crushed, you right. know? And so uh, that was, you, you almost become like a little bit of a teacher uh, or, you know, I think that sounds fairly obvious. You are a teacher, but you know, you're not always teaching them that they have to debilitate themselves during a workout for it to have any effect. Yes. And so that's when you start talking to them about balance, how much rest is required um, in can in comparison to the direct pressure that they're putting into the, the fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about source fitness and health. Um, because that just seems like a one-stop shop for anybody that wants to improve anything about their fitness and their health. Cause I was thinking, well, you know, I don't really want to exercise at home necessarily, but I, there are several things like, you know, I order from Amazon that I would certainly like to order from someone that is not Amazon. <laughs> um, so like my noon, for example, if I'm just going to have my an electrolyte drink, because setting up your environmental surroundings is really important, but not everybody likes to exercise at home. But I think with this particular resource, you are eliminating a lot of excuses people have about being able to find something who can help me set up my my environment, my habits, et cetera. So tell me how you landed on this and what that looks like today. Well, there were a couple of factors involved with that. One was during the pandemic, a lot of you know brick and mortar fitness centers closed. And so people were kind of on their own. Um, Melissa and I expanded the amount of at-home equipment that we have in that period. And yes, some of that stuff came from Amazon. Um, so I, I felt like, and a lot of folks decided maybe they're not going to go back to the gym. And so they are acquiring more equipment for their home environment. Um, the other thing was that in doing some research and talking to the advisor that helped me with this, um, 
There's 12 million or more searches a day for cameras on uh, Google. Um, so I don't expect to get 12 million hits on my website for Fitballs or, you know, uh, Dynabands or this kind of thing. But if you can get 5%, 1%, that's still a pretty respectable number. Right. And in this part of my life, I refuse to, I turned 51 last year when I, and if you go back a year further, when I turned 50, I decided that I, I made some promises to myself. One was I was not going to be a slave to someone, uh, trading time for money. Um, I love that. You're not going to be a slave to someone trading time for money. Yes. And then the other thing was I'm not going to work for peanuts anymore. And then for, for better or for worse, the third thing was that I'm not going to put up with bull anymore. Mm -hmm. So with an e-commerce platform, uh, if I apply myself to it, I should be able to, you know, make as much as I put myself into it. Um, I don't have to, you know, I did customer service and health clubs for 25 years dealing with grumpy health club members. Um, I just don't feel compelled to do that anymore. Good for you. And, you know, the future of the future of business and for whether we like it or not is e-commerce, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. look at like, we have a new mall here in Fort Collins. Uh, the mall is built around the idea that a lot of people are getting their physical stuff online, but you can't go out to eat online or you can't. You know, the stores that you see at your local strip mall or your local mall or business center, they're all things that are a bit more difficult to do online. Mm. So I felt like I have to go with where the, the economy is heading. Yes, I love that. The shift that I am having is, yes, I want to exercise outside the home. But if I'm going to do my physical therapy exercises every day or multiple times a week, like I'm supposed to, I got to have that stuff here. So we're not talking about like, let's bring in a bench and all that other stuff. You know, I've got my stretch band, my little girly kettlebell and, you know, all this other stuff that I'm doing for the, the small day-to-day -day maintenance to keep the Tin Man going <laughs> and the things that support it. Yeah. So, um, I, I definitely will connect with you after uh, so we can get all the links in the show notes to make sure people can find that. Because I also think that if people also don't know, like, okay, well, I'm supposed to do X, Y, and Z, and this is what my physical therapist has me do in the office, but I don't see this on the website. That's something you can help people with. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm just, I'm just starting out. I haven't gotten all my suppliers lined up yet. And so, mm -hmm. and, and at least, there'll be more things, but you know, like any business, I'm trying to do it organically instead of, you know, getting in over my head directly out of the gate. Exactly. You want it to be sustainable yeah. and productive. Yeah. Imagine oh, that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for bringing it around. <laughs> well, I just am so appreciative of your time today, Ainsley. I just am tickled to talk to you. We could talk for hours too. Um, but your time, your inspiration, your encouragement for where you are and for everyone listening, we'll make sure we link up to everything. And um, listeners, thank you for your time today as well. And until we meet next week, remember to create productive results in a way that you can sustain and that sustain you.
You have just listened to the Sustainable Productivity Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you might like what you read. Come to SustainableSue.com to read more and subscribe to have the weekly message sent to your inbox. You can also get show notes, including links to things discussed in the episode there. SustainableSue.com Consider sharing this episode with a friend. The more you share the message about sustainable productivity, the more we can create a world where we are all more engaged in our lives. Keep going, friends. As Devin Durant says, small efforts sustained over time can produce significant results. Have a good week.